It's car con carne. Car Con Carne in quarantine. Quarantine Con Carne sponsored tonight by CNH Financial Services. Also, Siren Records McHenry, who are now offering curbside pickup and online ordering. You can check out their new website at sirenrecordsmchenry.com. If you're in a band, if you own a label, if you want to get your product in a store, you can message them on social media or call the store. Siren Records McHenry, always looking to support local music. Tomorrow morning, tickets go on sale at 9 a.m., Local H bringing concerts back to Illinois. You can see the band playing a full set at a drive-in. They're playing at the Harvest Moon Drive-In in Gibson City, Illinois on June 25th. It's a Thursday night. Where is Gibson City? We'll just go on 57, drive south, and keep driving. We'll get there. Again, tickets on sale tomorrow morning at 9 at outhousetickets.com. So before I introduce my guest, I do want to acknowledge, I, I'm obviously aware of everything that's going on right now uh, in Chicago, around the country. If you came here, if you're watching this on Facebook Live in the moment and you're just looking for a distraction, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. I truly don't know what to say about everything, so I'll just simply say, I hope you're safe. My guest tonight, you've probably seen him, if not in Chicago, quote, back in the day, you've seen him on stage as DJ opening up for Sir Paul McCartney. He is Chris Holmes. Chris, it's been forever and a day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a funny day to uh, reconnect. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see you're doing well. Likewise, I, I've seen you from afar. I, when I saw uh, McCartney and Tinley Park, I saw you there doing really cool stuff with all that old Beatles, McCartney, Wings, etc. music. I, you've, you've got this really cool mix of stuff you've done with all that music. It's the best job in the history of the world to be able to work with with Paul. He's the coolest guy, and it's uh, it's you know, it's I'm a huge music fan, obviously, as you know, and and it's just been such a pleasure to be able to to just be around not not only paul but to see the love that uh how his music brings people together and it's it's just uh it's been like a religious experience being on that tour and getting to play you know remixes and edits of beatles songs and covers and stuff for for fans is is pretty much the coolest thing ever so i've been very blessed to be able to do that i've you know i've learned so much from paul and just his professionalism. I, I tell people he's a bit like uh, Hoop Dreams, but uh, in, in reverse, he's the hardest working, least complacent person. And uh, it's just so inspiring to see somebody, you know, put that much energy and that much passion and that much talent into it every day. Along <clears throat> the lines of what you were saying, one of my big thrills when I saw you at the, mo I guess it was, at this point was the most recent Chicago area show, I got to take my son. Like the idea of being able to take my son to see Paul McCartney. Like, I just, I felt like this is the best thing I can do as a father. Yeah, it's, it's truly a magical experience. Like, I, you know, it's like you go to the show and you can look in any direction and it's a fractal. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter, you know, where you're from. Like, everybody is brought together by that music. We all learn to love to it. We all learn to rebel to it. We all learn to care about, you know, social consciousness and not, not, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's such a common vocabulary for the whole planet. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really beautiful to be able to see the power of, of music and those songs to really bring people together and bring generations together. It's like, I love 
bring having friends bring their kids to the show and just seeing because I remember loving it as a kid too. And it's you know you see people that are ninety years old at the show and you see babies and it's it's amazing. But it's the best when I see my friends. I love seeing my friends' parents at the shows too. That's an absolutely incredible thing. Like, and just seeing the connection that that music has between people. You know, it's it's our DNA. The cross generational. Yeah. Impossible to pin down. It's just everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny, and and like one of the the cool things about Paul is like, it doesn't matter who you are. Like everyone's like Obama's a McCartney fan. Like you know Bruce Springsteen. Like they're all kind of like. I remember we were playing a show in New Jersey, and I was on the side of the stage, and I looked over, and Bruce Springsteen's there, and he's like getting ready to go up and play, and it's like you can see him getting nervous, and he's like, "It's Paul McCartney up there." It's like, oh my god, like this is the coolest thing ever. But uh, yeah, nobody is uh, is too cool for Paul, and he's like the least disappointing human being ever like he's just so incredibly wonderful and, and and so you know absolutely brilliant and kind and just such a joy he's he's so funny and and uh and he's just great to be around it's been the best the description of the least disappointing person ever <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's like, you know, it's like you, you don't want to meet your heroes all the time, but when, when you do and they're awesome, you know, people should know that, uh, that he is just the best. He's just the, you know, he treats everybody with respect and gives everybody their moment. And it's, it's really special. You mentioned what a music fan you are. And I know this about you. Do you remember what your first Beatles experience was the first record you bought? I think the first record I got, uh was when they had the the greatest hits the blue and the red records that came out in like the you know maybe 77 i was probably four or five years old and i listened to them just non-stop i had that and then abba super trooper record and probably uh some other really weird stuff uh but um yeah it's just always you know been the music that that uh inspired me and you know I, like the first time I took acid, I was like listening to uh, to Revolver in the White Album, and uh, yeah, it's and it's like it's been one of the cool things about being on tour for ten years with Paul is I've gone through all these different periods where I've connected with different records and different eras of stuff. Like I used to go see Terry Hammond at uh, at at the Beatles Fest at the you know Rosemont Hyatt Hotel or whatever the Hilton, I forget which one it was at, and you know you, when you could only see films like uh you know help and yellow submarine were at the beetle fest things and stuff and you know it's it's uh it's it's been so cool to see like as as i've gone through these kind of deep you know dives into the music like there's so many so many periods of that music that just you know identify with different periods of my life like last year i listened to the wildlife record a lot which is the first wings record i guess um, and it's just incredible. It's loose. It sounds like the Velvet Underground's uh, loaded record. It's like, you know, got got all these amazing, super super like Yola Tango sounding songs on it that are they're just incredible. But you're like that came the year after he wrote Let It Be. It's just so nuts, you know. And it's like, and I think that the most impressive thing about working with Paul is you realize that they they were four human guys that did that. They aren't like things that descended from the heavens with these, you know, perfect songbook. It was a bunch of guys that really pushed each other and, and really like, you know, got the best out of each other. And, you know, Paul's story with Linda is beautiful to see how they made music together and, you know, all the adventures they had. It's just, uh, 
it's been real cool. Yeah, that record's so good too. I went through it with that one about four years ago. But, you know, Maybe I'm Amazed was the first guitar solo I ever learned, you know, and it's just, uh, which uh, I think was from the live version that was released from the Wings Over America. But yeah, I've been playing piano a bunch during the quarantine and just, uh, you know, playing some of those songs. It's been really fun. I've been trying to be better when I go to concerts, which sadly I haven't been able to do for a long time. Uh, I've been trying to be better about not spoiling the set list for myself before I go. I used to be terrible about that. Thanks to the internet, you can find out exactly what every touring musician is going to play. I withheld the urge with McCartney. I wanted to be surprised with everything. I, I, I didn't want to anticipate anything. I just wanted to let it go. Temporary secretary. Really? I did like... It, it, that right there is the reason why you shouldn't spoil set lists for yourself. Yeah, no, that was amazing. I had played that the first time I DJed with him at Coachella. I had made an edit of of a remix that somebody had done of that, and it, it brought me such joy to be able to play that. And then one day he's like, at soundcheck, he just started playing the the arpeggio thing, and brought like. Uh, he brought a mini mug that I think was Linda's mini mug, and and was running it through this like arp. Uh, you know, um, sequencer. And, uh, it was so beautiful. He's just like trying to get to the right points and stuff. I'm like, what is he doing? And all of a sudden it like gets locked in. I'm like, Oh my God. Um, and then they figured out how to, how to play it live. And, uh, yeah, it made me very, very happy. Um, that was probably one of the deepest cuts that he's played on tour, but it's a great one. So you've been playing with him since 2009. Yeah, the first show I did with him was uh, at Coachella in 2009, and then they asked me to go on tour, and I've done all the shows since 2011. It's a pretty funny story where I did the Coachella with them. Do you, I can tell you the whole story. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty funny... He discovered you. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was DJing a party with the Radiohead guys for In Rainbow's Grammy party, and it was like this really fun party, and it was Questlove and... Tom York and Nigel Godrich and I DJ and it was like, you know, all of our friends were there. It's like this crazy party. And Nigel was like, I think Paul McCartney might be coming. Um, and uh, Nigel had produced one of Paul's records and, uh, and a couple, you know, maybe half an hour later, Paul McCartney's just on the dance floor dancing in front of me while I'm DJing. And I'm just like, this is the most surreal thing ever. And, uh, and when, when we finished uh, my set, I was talking to him a little bit and it was like a, it was like maybe a month before Coachella and uh, you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, how he was on the Colbert report and how funny Stephen Colbert is and didn't really talk about music at all. And the next day I got a call from Nigel and he's like, Oh, Paul McCartney called me for your phone number. He wanted to, he wanted to get a hold of you. I'm like, what, what about that's the craziest sentence that's ever been uttered. And so the next day I got a call from somebody who does the shows and they're like, Paul's going to call you and, you know, just think about what you might want to do. And I'm like, for what like and so he calls up i thought he might want me to do an after party or something he calls up and he's like uh hey i was wondering if you might want to open for me at coachella <laughs> like they don't have opening bands at festivals but yes 100 percent. like and so i came up with the idea to do remixes of uh of cover versions of Beatles songs like a bunch of old soul covers and stuff and uh and i did it and it was the best thing ever and while i was djing like jeff lynn from elo was like right on the side of the stage and brian wilson was there and i was Costello. And it was like the most surreal thing ever it's like my brain is just breaking by the all of my heroes are just sitting there and they're just all like you know trying to figure out what 
the hell I'm doing with two computers and like, you know, what's going on. And, uh, and I did it and it was, it was the most beautiful thing ever. And I got to watch the show with Nigel and, you know, we just, it was, it was really wonderful. And then he was playing the Hollywood bowl maybe like a year later. And I remember like writing and being like, Hey, if you guys want, I'm totally happy to go down and DJ for you guys for free and like hook it up and didn't hear back from them at all. And then my friends that went to the show said, Oh, I think he played your mix before he went on. And uh, they were playing my Coachella mix before every show that he did. And, uh, and I get an email a couple of weeks after it was maybe like a couple months after the LA show. And they're like, we lost your phone number. And they had been uh, a friend of mine had helped me set up all the logistics when we did the Coachella show who wasn't managing anymore and didn't answer her emails at all. And so they had been emailing her to ask me to come on tour with them for like six months. (laughs) and so like and then uh, they asked me to come out and i've done every show since then it's been absolutely amazing um and it's just like we just had a a a zoom call with everybody from tour today and just caught up with everybody but it's a it's a family and it's like the the guitar you know techs did like fleetwood mac and pink floyd and like you know the the amount of of just rock uh, history that's involved in that tour is so amazing. Like Roy Bennett that designs it, designed like the Purple Rain tour and the guy that does the video did the video for Purple, you know, and it's like all of these totally disparate things from like the Spice Girls to Prince. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's been the best job ever. I mean, it's, I, I don't even consider it a job. It's just very blessed. And, you know, I've, I've uh, hopefully gathered a lot of stories that I can share with people, um, you know, the wisdom of, of uh, you know, just things I've picked up from being around Paul. But it's been wonderful. Is he, is he doing okay? Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's you know, the last time I talked to him, he sent out a message to everybody, um, you know, uh, saying that he was sorry that the tour was canceled, but that we'd get back out and rock, rock out. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's so, he's a maniac. He's in the gym running. Like he's in such great shape. Well, he doesn't it's just, he doesn't, what? he doesn't age. Seeing him perform. Yeah. It's, it's, he's like an, an alien. It's, it's so crazy, you know, and he's just, it's his energy and his, uh, I mean, he eats well, but it's just his mental focus too. is just absolutely amazing. Let's talk a little bit about you. I knew coming up in Chicago in the 1990s. I mean, it may very well be the last time I saw you perform without McCartney was with the Pumpkins at the end of the first run. So it's been a little bit. Wow. Yeah. My first exposure to you is this band. Uh, (laughs) Nice. I love that record. I love this record. This is great. But you came up in the Chicago music scene in that crazy, heady time. What do you remember about coming up in the 90s? Oh man, I, I remember going to Lounge X and to the Metro and to the Empty Bottle and to the Fireside Bowl. I remember going to see shows six nights a week. And, uh, you know, I just, I remember just the feeling of camaraderie of, of you know, it really was such an amazing group of, of people doing really, really special music. And, uh, you know, I remember just the the sense of inclusion and and the sense of, you know, just uh, a feeling of, uh, um, it was just a really, really special time. And I'm very, very glad that I got to be there when that was happening and got to uh, 
to ride to ride it along with it for a little bit. It was cool. Well, there's the Yum Yum album, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm talking out of turn by saying that Yum Yum album has aged well than I think anyone would have imagined back then. I think it sounds right at home with contemporary music right now, right this second. Thanks. If anything, you were ahead of ahead of things with the Yum Yum album. Dan loves. Yeah, we we just did a reissue of that, um, you know, and, and uh, it it was it was really cool to go back and listen to it. It it was a a weird period for me because uh, I loved making that record and I loved the the music that I was referencing so much. I mean, it was basically a love letter from me to those those kind of songs and um and it was it was such a weird time you know it's like the my experiences with major labels were comically catastrophic and you know but like all of those things have just been such an important part of my life and the things that i've learned and you know the opportunities that i've had um but uh yeah, that record was weird because I had, uh, you know, the whole Tom Frank article was very bizarre too. I don't know if you remember that, but the Harper's article where he uh, he was he originally wanted to have him do a story that was kind of uh, an updated version of Hitmen, you know, the story about the music payola stuff in the 70s. And he, he was the writer for a magazine called The Baffler, a guy named Thomas Frank. And, uh, you know, he, he never really understood that I I loved pop music and that I really, you know, like I love the Archies. I love, you know, Tommy James and the Chandels and, um, and, and the name yum yum is deferential to that, to that whole sound. Yeah. Totally. yeah the Ohio <laughs> fruit gum or whatever, you know, the, uh, but, uh, yeah. And, and so it was, it was at the time it was, it was weird because there were a lot of bands that were, there were a lot of amazing bands like Jesus Lizard and Shellac and, you know, that were doing like this kind of, you know, very aggressive music. And then there was like a ton of really shitty bands that were doing, you know, kind of a caricature of that. That were just like, bro, 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 I'm so tough and I'm, you know, and every night, you know, I'd go see shows and it would just be, you know, white, angry, you know, just whatever. And, you know, there, there were some amazing like hardcore bands and stuff in that period, but there was a lot of uh, stuff that wasn't. And I had been playing in Savalon Glitz and uh, I had a, had the girl that sang the record was my girlfriend. We had broken up and it just got really weird with our relationship. And so I just started writing all these songs that I had kind of do on the side. And, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, it's a very weird weird time for me because I, uh, you know, it, it, I've just gotten out of college and was like, oh, I'll do music for a little bit, and it's you know, twenty, uh, I don't know, what, like twenty, twenty five, four or five years later, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty nuts. It uh, it, it creeps up on you. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know I threw myself back into the album for the first time in a while. My God, that title track of Dan Loves Patty, it's such an arresting, beautiful song. All the songs in there are beautiful. This is, this is Orc Pop. I, but that song in particular still strikes such a chord with me. Yeah, that was my favorite song on the record. Um, it just got licensed to be in a, uh, um, a Netflix show. Um, so hopefully some people will, uh, will hear it um, at some point in the near future and rediscover it. But uh, Love it. That, I had, I had a lot of fun going back and listening to it and, you know, I kind of lost the train of thought there, but, um, the, 
it, going back when we re- reissued it, um, my friend Eric Flanagan um, was a big fan, and and he basically convinced me to get together the masters and and kind of set up the reissue of it and wrote the liner notes and stuff. And it forced me to kind of go back and and listen to it. And I had switched from making music and to more producing and DJing over the last twenty years. And um, you know, it was it was really it was really nice. It was like looking at an old uh, scrapbook or something and like seeing parts of yourself that you've forgotten. And, you know, it was like seeing how, you know, it's like, I, I probably, uh, I've, I've hypomania. I'm kind of, uh, you know, a little bit on the, uh, the bipolar spectrum and it's like seeing how that was, uh, you know, how I was coping with that at the time, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, my mania was going into songwriting and into exploring beauty and, you know, finding, you know, these, these perfect, you know, signs and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was really, it was really nice to be able to do that and to, to spend some time and, and, uh, get reacquainted with it. And, uh, cause it did get, it all got so weirdly, uh, you know, because of the Harper's article got really like out of whack and people didn't really understood, stand that. I knew that putting out a major record, major label record was an absurd thing, but I still thought it was a really cool thing. I still believe that like music is one of the only things that can, you know, cut across boundaries and bring people together. And, and, you know, the, the, the ability to be able to reach people and to be able to get music out to people through radio, through labels is, is a really, really beautiful thing. And uh, I definitely wasn't complacent about that at all. So it was really good to go back and, and, remember how in love I was with music and, and those sounds at that time. It was nice. So when did you leave Chicago and why? I moved out to LA in 2003 and uh, I lived down in, in Kenwood and Hyde Park uh, until then after I graduated college. And uh, I had this awesome house down in the South. I don't know if you ever went to it, but uh, it was an old mansion and it had been split in two. So it was like a 12 bedroom house that had been split into two six bedroom houses and it was like insanely cheap. I think it was $1,500 a month for the six bedrooms or something. And, uh, and so when I was a, when I was a junior in college, I moved in there. And then, uh, as, as I got older roommates would move out and it basically became, you know, every room was a studio filled with organs and mellotrons and amplifiers and sitars and stuff. And, uh, and the guy who owned the house, uh, ended up selling it and uh and the person that bought it wanted to combine it into one big house and so i had the option of of staying in chicago and trying to find another place or to come out to la and i was doing a lot of film scoring and music supervising at the time and a lot of the work that i was doing was out here and uh, i was really really tired of chicago winters and uh, (laughs) as you age the winters seem harder and harder every year yeah so You've always had, you've always been messing around with technology. I always think of you in the same context of tech and cool stuff. I, I guess my question is, what are you messing with these days? Um, I am having such a good time right now with OBS, um, which is this program that uh, allows you to do it's the broadcasting stuff. I don't know if you're using it for your uh, your broadcast right now. And 
something I, I have a me- not even a, a written note. I have a mental note that I need to dig into this because everyone's asking about it, especially in conjunction with Twitch. I hear it mentioned a lot. Yeah. So I'm working on a show for Twitch right now um, that'll kind of be a combination of a like a variety show that talks about a lot of tech stuff and and art and what bands on. And uh, I'm working with Lance Bangs, who's an amazing director. Um, and uh, it's been really cool. We've been working on it for about two months now. And uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff in VR. Um, I've, I've just mixed a, uh, a series of short films with ambisonic sound, which is really cool. So instead of the music being in stereo, the music can move around you in space. So it's kind of like when the color comes into The Wizard of Oz and it's just this whole new way of seeing things. Um, when the sound in VR, you could have a drum set here. And as you move your head, the drum set, set stays or you could have it like I'm scoring this underwater. Uh, it's a thing on preserving the oceans. And so I might have a whale and the cello might follow the whale all the way around your head. And it's, it's, it's really been, been cool to, to work with. And uh, I've been also playing with a machine called a Glowforge, which is a big laser cutter engraver machine and uh, making everything from, uh, from giant uh, mandalas to uh, jigsaw puzzles. Um, that's been pretty fun. Um, yeah, I didn't even know any of this. I just assumed that if I asked about what you're up to tech wise, it'd be interesting. That's pretty much what I do is try to make art with tech. And, and, and I think when I'm not doing that, I, I try to help other people figure out what to do with tech for their art, um, or how to, how to make art for it. Like I'm a, I'm a tech facilitator. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, over the last year, I've just realized that, I'm, I've always been fascinated by pretty much everything. And, uh, and so it's really good for me to play with new technologies and find, you know, different things that you can do with them and different ways to, uh, to integrate it. Like I remember, you know, when I was doing the yum yum stuff and the Savlon glitz and the Ashtar command stuff, I was obsessed with modular synthesizers and I just love systems and playing with them and figuring out what you can do with them. And, especially when you don't know what you can do with them and just kind of like, you know, taking things apart and putting them back together again has always been really fun for me. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing that and I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff with, uh, uh, ambient music and I'm putting together a, a project right now of kind of on the Ashtar kind of tip of, uh, of some bliss out music. Awesome. So it's safe to say that this quarantine period has been a fertile one for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make the best of it. Everything that I do for a living is no longer a thing. And so, you know, um, I, I'm trying to figure out what 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 monetizable skills I have in the real world. Um, but uh, I've definitely been, been having a wonderful time uh, trying to make the best of it and trying to uh, help stay sane and help keep my friends sane and, uh, you know, look look for things to, to using technology and music to bring people together and remind people that they're not alone right now. And, you know, that, that in a world where, you know, narcissism and, and self-interest seem rampant, it's also a time of, of connecting and a time of, of, uh, of really bringing people together and realizing, you know, that, that our voices can be shared. And, and, you know, so I've been really focusing on figuring out ways to, to, to work with that and help, you know, amplify some voices and get stuff going. 
You're a good dude. All right, I'm going to stop the Facebook Live. Thank you, everyone, for watching there. That's Chris Holmes right there. Sorry, I got heavy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. They, I'm so glad we got to reconnect. Yeah.